Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, And this week, police had two suspects in a young woman's murder. Did their interpretation of DNA lead them to the wrong one? We'll talk about the new podcast, Suspect. Then, the faithful flock to a tiny Brazilian village to seek a spiritual healer. Now, they say his healing methods were really sexual assault. We'll review John of God from Netflix. Join me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, true crime co-author, and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. So I will probably be the best-selling author at Water Street Bookstore for one more week until Mm -hmm. Joe Hill's next book comes out. But I am riding the wave. Listen, we use best-selling loosely on the show, but in your case, it actually means something. So let's just ride that wave, shall we? How about you're the best-selling author whose father is also a billion-dollar author, whose coattails (laughs) you can ride upon. Let's be real. Your best-sellingness has nothing to do with nepotism. It's it's all on your own hard work and hustle, right? I think of you all the time. I'm hustling. You yeah. are. Mm-hmm. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast from iHeart, and our very own Patreon, Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. I'm entity approved. Oh, good. Oh, gross. <laughs> what? Oh, gross. He's talking about John of God, the thing we're talking about. Ugh. I know Ew. he is. I know he is. All right, so should we just get started with this week's podcast first review? Let's do it. I think we should. Leading off. I've seen many people with cancer and terminal illnesses that were cured in the first intervention. Lean on your right leg, throw your crutches away. Walk a little faster now. For years, people who were sick or disabled flocked to a small Brazilian village to seek out John of God. He performed spiritual healings, curing the faithful with crude surgeries or a touch of his hands. But John also pulled aside young women and claimed their miracles were to be performed through other techniques. When I recall it, I don't know what happened. If I say I don't know what happened, it wouldn't be true. The Netflix Brazilian import, John of God, The Crimes of a Spiritual Healer, explores the case of a quasi-religious leader who used his position to assault hundreds of women. The four-part documentary also shows his rise to power, his witch-doctor-like methods, and his victim's search for justice. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from John of God, The Crimes of a Spiritual Healer. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, I will say, all three of you have the same first bullet point in your notes. Mm -hmm. And if I were to write notes with bullet points, I would also have the same. So I think we can all agree this was way too long. Okay? Four episodes was still way too long. I don't think we need to have a whole long discussion about how this was too long. 
Too long, too long, too long, too long. Okay, we're done talking about that, right? And four episodes is not very long. No. Actually. Way too long, so let's just move on, shall we? We don't need to talk about the fact that it was too long. Now, Kevin, I, I, I do want to talk about the fact that um, this is in Portuguese, mm-hmm. and typically we prefer to watch things that are in foreign languages in the foreign language with subtitles. I Well, I'll say that I prefer crime drama yes i'd rather hear the actors in their native language because it's part of their performance that i get something out of but in a documentary like this i'm okay with but even and if, there are people who don't like to read or, or have trouble reading and that's you know that's fine you you got to do you but, but even in documentaries we usually watch it in the in the language in which it's made but we chose to not do it that way this time and that decision was a good one here so, Laura, I mean, I prefer usually to watch it in the language in which it was made. But even mm-hmm. though this was a documentary, I sent you a note and I was like, I am OK watching it with the English voiceover. Uh, I found it easier. I found it more digestible. And I forgave myself for it. Did you also watch it with English voiceover, Laura? Well, I tried. I actually went back and forth. So first I started in the Brazilian Portuguese and... I was like, God, this is dry. It seemed very repetitive. So I said, well, maybe I'll follow Rebecca's advice and I'll do the like English subtitles with the dubbing. I did that for like two episodes, but it was also hard because like you were also hearing like the Portuguese like behind the English. And then I was like, is this just sucking? So then I switched back to the port, you know, and I think honestly, I think what you guys did was the right decision. But I just think overall, the narrative structure sort of meandered in a way that it made it difficult to watch for me, no matter what language I was watching it in. Hmm. Now, Kevin, one of the things that really fascinated me, and I wanted more of it, but didn't get it, was the actual healing part of this. Right. Because we did see some kind of incredible, probably charlatan footage of things like shoving a pair of scissors up someone's nose and pulling out maybe what looked like a tumor and suddenly they were fine and yeah look we we have seen this kind of story before the powerful man is actually a sexual predator and using his influence to do his evil deeds and so what is different about this tale well the different part is the spiritual healer part right and i don't think we got enough of that we certainly didn't get any sort of critical investigation of what he was actually doing the hell with like putting a clamp in somebody's nose and then all of a sudden their brain cancer is gone turning it 21 times turning it 21 times and then they go in the back and puke out something that looks like a piece of steak or the woman whose husband had like uh, some sort of weird surgery on his chest oh my god with, a, cut... with a rusty chainsaw <laughs> so so, you're right. so that's, real, look, that's really interesting, yeah. right? I mean, that that's something the Jeffrey Epstein documentary doesn't have. So not only do we want to know more about that, is he not only a sexual predator, but he's also a con man? Like, we didn't get any of that part. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, but, he's everything. But I really would like to have known, like, well, okay, did the brain tumor just... How did that go away? Did he never have it in the first place? Or... I don't know. It's just that was something that's really different about this story. And I'm like, ah, I think there was an opportunity to explore that and some other things. Toby, I want to hear your take on that, because a lot of these victims, we are challenged to believe them. I don't want to say challenged to believe them, because I do believe them that they were sexually assaulted by this guy. Right. But we are also asked to believe them by the filmmakers that he also cured my breast cancer and he also cured my husband's heart attack by giving him a heart transplant with a rusty chainsaw or putting a pair of scissors up my nose and turning them 21 times and pulling out my brain tumor. We're supposed to believe both things. And I do not want to discount the sexual assault allegations in any way because a lot of them are in film and they're clearly fucking true. What are we supposed to make in this film of these faith healing claims that were made at this place that I swear to God looks like a goddamn arcade at the Hampton Beach goddamn boardwalk. It looks like a very sad dojo. Everybody's in white. There's weird posters on the wall. The posters are weird. What are we supposed to make of these faith healing claims? Toby, I know you know a lot about like cult stuff and faith healing stuff. What are we supposed to make of these claims? Because they go completely unchallenged in this documentary. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know much about him in particular, but I do know that, I mean, there's lots of people who who do this kind of thing, right? Who claim to be faith healers, and you can watch them on TV here. I think like Benny Hinn might have been one of them. But when people look at these claims of healing, they're not doing like two-year follow-ups to see if the cancer was really gone, or was it just the effect of, I went and saw this guy and I've got a new attitude, so I don't feel as sick as I did. My sense is, again, I'm not sure, but it seemed, and it kind of comes up a little bit with one of the women who who's talking about her encounter with him, is that he hypnotizes people. And I think that's probably part of what happens is that the setting in which people interact with him is that you're in these huge crowds and it's hot and you're waiting all this time and the the excitement's building and you get in this big line and all this stuff is happening around you. People in front of you are being cured of things. So I think by the time you get up there, you're you're in highly suggestible. And my sense is that he, he can pretty quickly hypnotize people and then, you know, shove stuff up their nose or take away their cane and they'll walk away under hypnosis because they're not feeling the pain that you would normally feel. And I'm not sure if like a week from now, that guy's still like walking around like he's a spry teenager. Um, he kept his cane. So how is he? Get, how's the guy going to walk anywhere? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess they, they carry him to the bus and then like push him out the door when he, they he get wakes back up, to Rio or whatever. I don't know what book you have to get out of the library to learn how to do these tricks, but, you know, Jim Jones, like in the early days, was doing a similar thing where he would say that he was getting people's cancer and it would be like a raw chicken liver that he'd keep under his tongue and he'd spit it out and be like, I just, you know, I just pulled the cancer out of you. So you're saying that part's all fake. I, I thought it was totally true. So what do you, you think it's totally true, Laura? You think that other doctors who say you used to have cancer and didn't anymore... Hey, Oprah vouches for him, so... Well, we need to fucking talk about this because, listen, our culture loves Oprah, is obsessed with Oprah. Harry and Meghan love Oprah. Oprah is the one who shows up every time there's an important interview. I know that Oprah is, like, adjacent to a lot of things our culture loves, but I think we have learned on this podcast and through many other podcasts and documentaries we have watched that Oprah is adjacent to a lot of things that are bananas. Oprah is adjacent to Scientology. Oprah is adjacent to uh, this. Oprah is adjacent to Dr. Oz. Uh, Oprah is adjacent to lots of stuff. So let's listen to a little clip of Oprah in this documentary. It was so strong that I had to sit down because I thought I was going to pass out. Thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, well, first we see Oprah show up, but there's never any context as to why she's there or what the benefits are. We see later on cover of Oprah magazine, like, was there a feature that helped get the word out and now he made a billion more dollars? It was weird. You get a faith healing and you get a faith healing and you get a faith (laughs) healing. Oprah is not an insignificant cameo, especially in a true crime thing. So, again, what the hell was that all about? I mean, it might have been really interesting or it might have been nothing, but at least tell us. We needed some context. Absolutely. What did you think, Lara? No, I think we absolutely needed some context because, you know, I see her come in and I'm like, oh boy, which is she doing just like a special program there? Is she going to them like him for her own healing? You know, and the last time that we saw her somewhere, it was that awful sweat lodge case. Yes. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of, I wanted a little bit of context as to why she was there and sort of how she fit into the picture other than this sort of like adjacent image that we saw of her. Listen, Oprah is a seeker. Like that is her brand. Her brand she was part is, of the secret too, right? Yes. Her brand yeah. is being the seeker of seekers. She is the person who brought the secret to the forefront. She's the person who sort of brought he's not that into you to the forefront. She's the person who brought like Dr. Phil to the forefront. She's the person who brought the whole seeking something to the forefront of regular person, non-hippie, middle-class culture. Like that is what Oprah is all about. And a lot of it is fine and affirming, but I'm like, a lot of it is also fucking bananas. Toby, in the (laughs) aggregate, Oprah Winfrey 
hero or harmful? Like in the aggregate, I'm just curious. Just in your experience in this podcast, I'm assuming, Toby, because I know you, you probably did not watch Oprah Winfrey at four o'clock every day after General Hospital. Did not watch a whole lot of that. So in the aggregate, not being an Oprah Winfrey viewer at four o'clock every day after General Hospital, like you probably weren't, what do you think? Helpful or harmful in the aggregate? What are you thinking at this point as a six uh, year alumni of this podcast? For an American, I'm probably in the bottom like 2% about knowing anything about Oprah Winfrey. So I assume that she must be in the aggregate, like super positive because everybody loves her so much. I feel as though she has enough money to pay people who are better at vetting these people who she is giving these tacit endorsements to. Because, you know, you find out later that there's been at least one uh, sexual assault claim that's been laid on him by a teenager like years ago that it seemed like that one journalist was able to do in a quick Google word search and find it. So how many guests has she had and how many things that she explored? And you just figure there's going to be some percentage that are going to turn out to be like not very savory. And I don't know what percentage it is, but as far as her like popping up on Crime Writers On things that we review, she's batting a thousand and making bad choices. <laughs> so... I feel like Oprah would 100% do ayahuasca. Don't you feel like that 100%? Like, go oh, on yeah. that journey in the... Go, go to go to Peru and go to find a medicine man and 100. vomit for eight hours. I would like to go on a shaman medicine man quest. Listen, I... Get me to a sweat lodge. I'm not saying I would say no to <laughs> Oprah's, like, invitation to Santa Barbara to have me, like, change her yeah. mind and invite me to lunch with Harry and Meghan. I would 100% go to that. That being said, I would have a lot of questions. Uh, I've got some questions. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin, there is a narrative climax of this documentary, and that is the arrest of John. I mean, a lot that happens. We see a lot, Mm -hmm. by the way, many, many, many shots of John's weird house with the weird door and a lot of, like, hose shots. You have to see the documentary to get this, but every time they talk about his special room, it looks like a gas station bathroom from the outside with two different garden hoses, <laughs> one on either wall. Like, why do you need two spigots 90 degrees apart from one another? All I'm saying, that is not a detail you should be focusing on in a documentary about <laughs> hundreds of sexual assaults. I know. I do not I do not want to take away, and by the way, this is a fault of the film, and it's not your fault, Kevin. I am saying this is a fault of the film. We have all of these women telling these terrible stories, and this thing is put together in such a way that both Kevin and I, on multiple occasions made comments about the number of garden hoses outside this man's house. So anyway, the climax of the film is he is finally arrested. Oh, I thought you were going to say when he took his hand out and said it was ectoplasm. Oh, my (laughs) fucking God. Oh, my. Like in Ghostbusters. God damn it. The details. I will say the one downside of watching this with the English translations, the translations were not... Great. The names of the charities that were established. <laughs> Justice. What is it? Justice has skirt. Justice has skirt. Like, <laughs> I know that that was not accurate. Not great. That being said, uh, so there was this climax of the film that where he was arrested, and you kind of think, like, oh, great. But then. It's almost over. No, but then there's this long. It's another 50 long. minutes of, yeah. Yes. And then, and then it's like. I almost felt the women were done an injustice by the way the story was put together. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. There's two points that you made there. One is that, yeah, that seemed to end too soon for the balance of this story, which is why maybe it could have been two episodes or one really big documentary or whatever. To end it that soon into the fourth episode leaves with a lot of... Okay, well, well, now what? And I guess there is, you know, still there was a lot of legal machinations after that. Look, I, I will say that I was really, I don't want to say surprised, I was really moved by the stories of these victims. Yeah. Even though, like, I think they tr- sometimes, like, really, literally, the language stuff doesn't translate well, but it came across really articulate. They're very candid. Like, yeah, yeah, candid. Yeah. I, I'm trying to find the right word here. They were better at expressing it than I am right now. But I, I thought the way that they told their stories was uh, really powerful. Um, the last thing that I'll say is that at the very end, we find out that John has been released to on home home arrest for the next 63 years or whatever. But some of the people made a comment about how it was because of COVID. 
and they were all stuck at home. Mm -hmm. And so they felt like they were on house arrest, too, and there was no difference. And I was like, yeah, man. It's like, if the justice system doesn't fuck you, I guess life does. Right. You know? So you you just can't win. Yeah. Now, Toby, you made a comment when we talked about the Harvey Weinstein case about whether or not, you know, he was abusing women because he was a huge Hollywood filmmaker or whether or not he became a Hollywood filmmaker so he could abuse women. Are you drawing a parallel here also with the faith healing thing, like with this guy? Did he put himself in this position so he could have more access? Are you thinking that here? Uh, I think that's a possibility. It's either that or it's just like that's his con, mm. I think. Yeah, I, I I mean, they don't really try and answer that question, I don't think. He seems like he's sketchy from the start, right? He's I gross. Mean, when, when they talk to his, his friends growing up, I mean, it's kind of, it doesn't look like his trajectory is going to be that great. They They have these little f- snippets of film where you can see him walking through a crowd and there's clearly like, there'll be like an attractive woman in the crowd and you can see kind of the gravitational pull that that woman will have to him, his attention, you know, and it's just, it's chilling. I mean, it's just, it's just damning to see it again and again and again. It's like, once you start looking for it, I can't imagine like actually being in the room and seeing this, like just watching from a TV, you can see it. So And just loosening their pants, going through their waistband and just, you know. This guy has the closest thing to predator face of anything I can Uh, possibly imagine. Once you see him, and Laura, I will say the one scene that really like, like put me back in my chair was you see that his daughter doing that radio interview. And I think his daughter is about to defend him on the radio show. And she's like, yeah, my dad started molesting me when I was eight. And I was like, Oh my God. Like there's not a single person who knows this guy who isn't immediately like, except for Oprah, who is immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and, and his volunteers, yes. I, mean, I think his volunteers yeah. kind of stick up for him. Yeah. Yeah. They, he does have this sort of circle, like these protectors around him that continue to defend him. Sounds and familiar, him. right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I was thinking as I was watching it. And I, I definitely was having a lot of rage walking after thinking about this guy because he's somebody I would definitely like to smack a few Mm. times. I mean, he definitely, I do, like the whole thing kind of seemed like, well, if Harvey Weinstein had grown up in Joyous or or whatever, how you pronounce it, like this is probably would have been his thing, right? I mean, he he was going to be a big film producer there, so he probably would have found out something else. And this is probably as as good as anything. He would have been pulling breast cancer out through the belly button, just like this guy did. Yeah, it's just, yeah. (laughs) It's, it, it happens. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let our listeners know. Should they check out John of God? It's a four-part documentary on Netflix. It's in Brazilian Portuguese. Um, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out this series? Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down for you, Laura Bricker? I'm going thumbs down. And this has nothing to do with the sympathy, empathy that I feel for the victims in this case. It just has to do with how this story was put together. It was put together in a way that was too long, meandered, like the narrative structure sort of got lost. So the impact that I would have felt from seeing these victims' stories of abuse of what happened to them really diminished in the way that this story just went on way too long. I think it would have been fine as one or two episodes, four episodes, unless they had actually plotted it out a little bit better. It's just way too long. So save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. Just go continue watching Only Murders in the Building. (laughs) (laughs) Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for John of God? Yeah, I kind of wondered, like, if this was the first thing we'd seen about somebody like this, whether it would have felt different. I mean, it just seemed like the arc was very similar in terms of you know, powerful man, sexually abusing women. You, you meet some women who, in like these great acts of courage, are, are able to stand up and go to the justice system and, and get some form of justice. Like if this is the first time we'd seen it, would it have seemed different? I also wonder how it hits in Brazil. It might hit a little different in Brazil. I mean, they do talk a little bit about the number of, I think, women who are killed every day or every week in Brazil. Yeah. It's it's freaking horrifying. So I I can't give it a thumbs up. I it's definitely a thumbs down. I would just be interested and I know I know we have some listeners in Brazil if they've watched it if you know maybe it hits somewhat differently there. But yeah, the first episode I was kind of interested in because I think that's really when they focus on the John of God and his whole ministry and stuff and sort of the weird mixture of Catholicism and this sort of 
spirit worship type stuff. But then after that, I, it just really, really bogged down. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs down. It's an interesting story. Certainly the breadth of his crimes are terrible. It's hard to say, yeah, there are 300 victims, but there's more to this story that could have been explored. There really is. It's it's a, an interesting setup because you have the spiritual healer and there's these other things about money and guns and, and whatnot that really don't get touched on. Uh, so I think Toby kind of summed it up in, in the right way. If if this had been the first time we'd seen it, or maybe in Brazil, there are no other documentaries of the same vein, then it might be really revelatory. But this is kind of like stuff that we've seen before and not handled in a way that either matches that or takes it in a new direction and advances the form. So I'm just going to have to say it's a thumbs down. Yeah, I just think it sucks. I mean, I think these women were totally done a disservice. <laughs> by so that thumb sucks. Huge thumbs down. I mean, these women were done a huge disservice by this documentary. I mean, yeah, they got to tell their story in the film, but we were given no context about why this guy had the power to do what he did, which is what would have made their stories, I don't want to say matter more, but which would have made it given that more impact and made it under made people understand like why their stories should have had more ripples in the pond if that makes more sense like this guy was very 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 famous and i don't think outside of this community and outside of this country you really understand that and that's kind of the whole point of this film right and you don't really get that i mean it's like Brazilian Catholicism is not explained. Faith mm-hmm. healing is not explained. It's not debunked. It's not challenged. It's not explained in any way. You know, even the abuse that he committed is not really explained. It's just sort of like touched on here and there. And then we have all this testimony and then we have all this aftermath. But it's just not put together well. And I don't think the victims were done a, a service. It's narratively just freaking awful. I'm sorry. Like, I wanted to have it have redeeming qualities, but it just wasn't done well. So sorry, John of God, got to give you a big fat thumbs down. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, Shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section. No, we're not. We haven't started the music yet. Okay. Should we start it now? Start it now. Well, now it's the business section. We have breaking news in our after show today, right? An exclusive. Yeah. By now, you probably have heard that Netflix will be releasing season two of... The Tiger King. And you reached out to someone to find out. I reached out to Carol Baskin to find out whether or not she'll be partaking and what her thoughts were. And we'll talk about that in the after show. Her response, her official response. Official response. was on the record. I said, you don't have to tell me. You know, you can tell me off the record. And she said, it's on the record. Her answer is no. And she said on the record, why? Yeah, we'll talk a little more about what was going on behind that. Oh, Carol. Yes. Because I said, I wouldn't be surprised. They didn't treat you very well in the first one. Correct. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that in the Crime Writers on After Show, which is Plus. available right now in your Patreon feed. If you're a Patreon member at $5 or more, you get the After Show, correct? Right. Absolutely. And a bunch of other stuff. And by the way, you get to be a Patreon member at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. So if you only want to join right now to hear that, to get this breaking news, you can just join now and then like unjoin later, right? If you want to. Yeah. I don't want to like encourage people to do that, but if you want to hear just that thing. You can do that, right? Right. And we're also going to, we wanted to talk about it. I don't know. You you thought this was really interesting last week and we didn't get it into the after show. Oh my God. Kevin's keyboard tricks. Kevin's computer tips for old people. Is it for old people? You mean for us people? Oh, I'm sorry. Your computer (laughs) tricks. Listen, I know you think they're for everybody, but they're especially good for, we are old people. You know that, right? Yeah. Like I hate to say like old people, like they're other people. We are old people. Yeah. Sorry, I hate to break it to you, but we are actually old people. We're not about your computer. Way to bring us all people. fucking down, Rebecca. I know. Thanks, and, Rebecca. And by the way, for $6 a month on our Patreon, which, by the way, is our most popular level, right? For $1 more. It's our most popular level, right? 
Yes, more, yes. So for, for six, two cents a day. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. For $6 a month on our Patreon, you are bumped up to the level where you get an additional podcast, which is Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Yeah. And what is happening on that? All I know is that when you were editing it this week, you were laughing your ass off. What is happening on Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast? Well, in the latest Leave It to Bricker, Laura talks to her son, Will, who's just starting high school and is explaining all the different ways she has been able to keep tabs on him (laughs) through the town of Exeter. And I got to say, when it came to calling Jeb the Barber, I was like, okay, I'm fucking done. This is just, this is the most Laura Bricker thing in the world. So anyway, there's much more of that on Patreon. Are you saying that Laura Bricker stalks her own family? She doesn't need to. She's plugged in. They should call her the Golden Octopus because she has her tentacles all over that fucking town. Yeah, she yeah. does. Exeter is basically like East Germany. Yeah. Only for Lara, though. Yeah. You ever see like one of those like 1960s films like with some stranger like rolls into town and everybody's looking and word gets around? Like that could be Exeter and it could be <laughs> Lara could be the one who knows like somebody just came in with an Idaho license plate. Do you what know are what they I, doing here? Yeah. Do you know what I learned at Lara's book event? What? 16,000 people live there. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. That's a lot of people. I mean, I know it's still like a relatively small, it's small town. Com- yeah. But- right. So our town is very small. Six thousand people live oh, here. Okay. Right. If you Six- say so. Okay, Kevin. How many? I'm going to be honest with you. Ask you a question. How many of the six thousand people in our town do you think you personally know? Like eight. Ten? I would say maybe three or four dozen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Laura Bricker, I swear to God, knows 12,000 of those 16,000 people. I think it's that might be true, Rebecca. <laughs> and she knows at least 1,000 of those cats. And I swear to God, all 16,000 of those people know her. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Your tentacles do spread far and wide. I'm like the overlord of Exeter right now. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. Of course, we have another one of Toby Ball's Book Club podcast coming up. There's a lot happening, and we have a Meredith podcast coming up too, right? We do. God, we make four podcasts, but we make one podcast outside the paywall. We make four behind it, and you get all four of them for six bucks a month. We're doing a lot back there, guys. Yeah, there's over uh, 250 exclusive podcasts that you can get. Only on Patreon. Sheesh. We're like Netflix for your ears. All right, Kevin, uh, before we move on, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Ruth Reedy and Audrey Tarr. Wow. Bless you. They must be nice. They are. They're saints. All right. They're patron saints. Should we end the business section? Yeah, shut that music off. I'm sick of it. Thus ends the business section. Moving on. While DNA is treated in popular culture like a truth meter, a guilt meter, in reality, DNA evidence has to be interpreted by human beings. Human beings who have biases, prejudices, human beings who make mistakes. In 2008, the body of software engineer Arpana Janaga was discovered after a rowdy Halloween party in her apartment building. She had been strangled and then doused in bleach, motor oil, and toilet bowl cleaner to destroy DNA evidence. Among the suspects was a convicted sex offender with outstanding warrants and a neighbor who was turned away from the Canadian border hours after the killing. I'm telling you everything. You're not. Because the way you're telling us is telling me that you're holding something back. Did you kick in her door? No, I didn't kick. Faced with a whodunit and forensic evidence that couldn't be analyzed by conventional means, authorities ran trace DNA through a software program. Though unable to clear one suspect, police arrested another on the basis of debatable science. This DNA match on the robe fundamentally altered the course of the case. It undercut the conclusion the investigators might be tempted to reach from the DNA on the motor oil bottle. And it changed everything. In Suspect from Campside Media and Wondery, host Matthew Scher looks at the investigation into Janaga's death. 
The podcast series slowly peels back the layers of a case with dubious assumptions, racial bias, and junk science, which likely put the wrong man behind bars. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for the first five episodes for Suspect. So to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So we should note that all of the episodes for Suspect are available on Wondery Plus and... On Amazon Music, if you have a subscription. Which I didn't find out until later, damn it! But the first five episodes are available on all of the apps. Now, we should just, I think Kevin just tipped our hats. This is a podcast that perhaps you may want to maybe get the episodes for. So, Kevin, we have reviewed a couple of podcasts from Campside. And, of course, we've reviewed a plethora of podcasts from Wondery. If you told me these two... Wait, wait, I didn't just say. (laughs) All right. We have liked, for the most part, their podcast from Campside, but our one criticism has been they have been a little too much in the sound design side. Uh huh. And of course, from Wondery, most of our criticism has been like they're way too much on everything. So here we are a collaboration right. between Campside and Wondery, though I'm guessing Wondery is just a distribution partner. Right. But if you told me like there was going to be a podcast with both their names on it, I would have thought it would have been nine hours of theme songs and sound effects. Yes. And it's not very restrained, and I think that's because, at least I hope it's because, there's a really good story here, and when you have that, you don't need a bunch of party tricks to fool the easily impressed. You just get to tell the story. I actually think it's because whoever was working on this was just really good at it. I mean, I my well, yeah, I actually but- believe that Wondery was the distribution partner. I'm not, like, behind the scenes in this at all. I just think... That the people working on this thing were the right people, and I'm just That's gonna, all that matters. I'm just gonna stick with that. I mean, Toby, there is a narrative structure here that I was so impressed by, and I don't think we've heard something like it recently. Which is that in the first couple of episodes, we follow the crime and the person who probably did it, and probably should be in jail for it, as if that's kind of what happened. And we're like all in on that, right? And then we find out that's not what happened. I am just like incredibly impressed by the way that they structured this. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this podcast. We haven't talked about it a lot before taping the show because that's how we do this. I have just been assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, that you might be as impressed with the narrative structure of this as I am. Yeah, well, I think, you know, last week when we were talking about Firebug and we were talking about how it, it wasn't structured well and it, it sounded a little bit like an article and they, they didn't have the right focus and they left stuff to the end that should, but I feel like this one does it all just about perfectly. The way it's organized and the way it draws you in and the way you learn things is just about as good as I can imagine you doing it with this story. And I don't know if it's the exact first thing, but the bulk of the beginning of it is about this Halloween party that takes place at this apartment complex, which I kept thinking of as Melrose Place, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> and uh, It's down market Melrose Place, the way they yeah, describe it, yes. They do this interesting thing where that in setting up this party and then talking about the party, you get to have a pretty good sense of a number of people who become players in this and what their relationships are. And you get to hear a lot of their voices and you get to hear like the way that this woman Arpana, who's the victim, her enthusiasm for the party and you get a little bit of the background and then the party itself, the description, the way they talk about it was so reminiscent of things I've been to, you know, where there's a party and there's like one guy who's like, being sort of hyper aggressive and freaking people out, and a dick. everybody yes. wants him to get out of there. And <laughs> that's you, you know, Toby. Every, everything's kind of fun until about Fuck one you, o'clock Neil. in the morning, and then everybody's just like so wasted that it gets a little dark. Parties have emotional lives of their own. Sounds weird to say that out loud, but I'm also guessing you kind of know what I mean. There are parties that are full of warmth, of happiness, parties where it feels like everyone is on the same wavelength. And then there are parties that have a bad mood to them, where you can feel something, anger, jealousy, barely concealed violence under the surface. That Halloween party in 2008, the Valley View Apartments, had started the first way and ended up the second. 
So anyway, the structure is, is phenomenal, um, I thought. Laura, I know you had party thoughts as well. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, like Toby said, I mean, we've all been to a party like this at some point. Have so we? I Well, I mean, I have. <laughs> uh, nobody got killed at the party I was at. But I mean, like, I think like there's Halloween parties, especially when you were in your younger years, they could always be adventurous. I mean, I had one at our sorority house where I was dressed up in this duck suit that I had. So I sort of became like this infamous character, the duck. And the children were coming to visit us to trick or treat. And I thought, I'll make it really spooky. And we had this like halogen lamp. And so I put a scarf over it, and you know how that ended. And the fire department came. And, they said, <laughs> and that's how I met your mother. That's your target market, the fire department. Yeah, they said, um, who set the fire? And they said, the girl in the duck suit. And anyway, so I, I could really relate to this in a way like that sort of period in life when you did, like Toby said, have these things where you're like all these sort of rando people show up and you're like, oh my God, who is that person that showed up in a duck suit? Or who was that person who did this? And I think- Setting that up from the start, it's like not necessarily a who done it because who the heck knows. It was more of like this botched investigation story and how that played out. But setting it up the way they did with all these characters that came to this party, I think sort of started us on that story in such a way that we knew we weren't really going to. I didn't think I was going to know who done it. Yeah, well, the party episode is really enthralling because just like in a murder mystery like an Agatha Christie or a black and white Charlie Chan movie, you have this setting where everybody's there and you know as a member of the audience that you are going to be given things that are important, going to be important later on. So you are sizing up everything, right? You hear all the people who are there and you could kind of like trying to drink everything in. Because something about, is is it this fight? Is it the beer? Is it what, you know, what is going to be important down the road? And I got to say, this is the closest thing to a game of Clue that we have heard. Because it's the construction worker killed Little Red Riding Hood in the bathroom or the bed. You know, it's it's crazy like that. You know what it is? What? It's only murders in the building. It's only murders murders in that building. No, this is all I can think about. The theme song. From Campside Media and Wondery, I'm Matthew Scher. And this is Suspect. Has like the sort of evocative. Yes, I know it sounds a little bit serial-esque, but it actually has a very evocative like mystery. And I know that this was made like way before Only the Murder in the Building was released. I know it. But it even has like a little bit of a concertina feel. But literally... And I'm not making light of this crime. I'm not. And by the way, Matt Scher is not making light of this crime. But this is a fucking great example of something that I have talked about so many times lately on this podcast of a serious, important story where you can hear the joy in the making of it, right? This is somebody Mm -hmm. who clearly likes being a reporter and enjoyed putting the story together and understands how to put it together in a way that the audience will take it in. And it's very... It makes us enthusiastic without him being thirsty about it. Okay, here's a story where the victim lives in the building, the perpetrator was at a party and the one of the witnesses was there and the killer was also there. It is literally only murders in the building, right? It's the same setup. I don't think you know what the word literally means, but it's, I'll let it go. It's the same setup, yeah. right? But what I was talking about earlier was that the structure, literally the first episode and the first two episodes, Cameron is laid out for us as the killer. We are given on a plate Cameron is the killer Emmanuel is a side story that is like quickly flash in the pan until it isn't he was there I will say and I am an astute observer of all details in every podcast Emmanuel is like oh he was there he left in my mind I was like oh that's probably important this story is so well told I literally forgot about him or almost forgot about him Holy shit. Like I said to you, Kevin, wow, it's really weird that they're like giving us so much about this guy who probably did it. Like he's the guy. And you were like, just wait. I'm like, <laughs> I forgot about Emmanuel. Lara, is that not a sign of a well structured story that they could tell us about somebody who's so important and that as a listener, we could forget? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very hard to do. I mean, this is something I've been working a lot on lately with like mystery writing, like, okay, you don't want your suspect to be too obvious, but you want them to be there. So when they come out, everyone's like, oh, but I have to say the Cameron thing back to him, it was a good thing. I was like walking in the woods by myself when we got to the part about how they just like gave him his Blackberry back and like, like didn't even search it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, why? I'm like, oh, I looked around like, oh, no one else is here. Uh, You know, because he was set up as the killer, but he was set up as the killer in a way that was so much more plausible than Emmanuel. I just felt like Cameron, hello, he like fled to Canada. Oh, I just wanted to go for a drive to Canada. Yeah, okay. Um, So when we then hear about blunder after blunder with how the investigation is handled from that point on. Um, it was it was some rage-walking material right there. Toby, one of the things that Matt shared the reporter says at the beginning of the podcast, which I honestly thought was probably an overstatement, but turns out that it isn't, is that this is a rare story a reporter wants to tell where it happened a long time ago, but everyone wants to talk about it. And you think, like, that can't possibly be true, Right. Everyone wants to talk about it. He has all of the neighbors. He has the cops. He even has Neil, the dick at the party. <laughs> he, has, mm-hmm. he has the other neighbor who has like a murder board in his house. He has a manual. He has literally everyone. Well, you're saying, Kevin, I don't know who what literally you're right, yeah, yeah. But he does seem to have everyone. He has, he, he has all the important players. He yeah. has the person. And they all who, wanted to talk. He has the person who happen. found the body who yeah. avoided Arpana's dad's phone call, which, by the way, was a heartbreaking scene. What did you think, by the way, of just the access that Matt has and the fact that everybody seems to want to talk about this case? Does he talk to Cameron? I don't think we've heard any contemporary tape of Cameron through episode five yet. Yeah, they've got good tape of him uh, talking to cops. It's not It's not too surprising that people want to talk about it, I would imagine, especially with, I guess we're, we can spoil, but, but the fact that, you know, the person who got arrested for it didn't do it, I think, again, kind of makes you, if you're around that, want to talk more. But yeah, I... I, I you know, again, like I think the groundwork that's been done in getting all these interviews and then getting archival footage, like the phone call from the father, is just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, there's a lot of good police questioning audio that they've got. I'm sure we'll talk about the audio that hits at the end of episode five. Oh, my God. Again, I mean, in some ways, it's like, my God, like... How did they get this? How does how does this even exist to like shed light for us on this podcast? I, I think the thing it's a good story, and I think it was interesting when the cops. There's just so many sort of evocative details about how the cops are getting these pictures, and at first, before they know people's names, they're like, "Oh yeah, you know the vampire and the fireman and the construction worker." And that's how they're identifying these different people who are potentially like suspects, people, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> before they can put names to them. Find me Count Chocula. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and the way they play that is just like sort of perfectly done, where they play it for a minute, but they don't like they don't beat it to death or whatever. It's like a cool kind of interesting fact at one point, and then they kind of move on. I mean, it's just like praise after praise, I guess, which isn't like doesn't make for a very interesting comment, but it is. It's just really well done. It's it's really hard because there are so many details that, and I I will admit. This is, um, well, I'm just going to ask you a question, Kevin, because I'm going to say something that I feel and then phrase it to as a question. You're not giving me notes on it. So I'm going to ask you to respond. We have not listened to a true, legit, great, true crime podcast that wasn't actually something else wrapped as a true crime podcast in a long time, right? Right. We've listened to a lot of great podcasts framed as a true crime podcast that were about other things, like Through the Cracks. Well, well, wait a minute. Are you going to say this isn't? This is just a whodunit? A great this is whodunit? a true crime podcast. It is. Yeah, there's it procedural is. stuff. There's evidentiary stuff. There's all the forensics. I, I, I pre- I'm not going to disagree with you that this is not a great true crime podcast. To say that there isn't another level here, yes. remember, the word suspect is yes. a noun, yes. but it's also an adjective. Yes. And I think that that's what it's going it's at. It's about an investigation. We are going to get, we've only heard the I first understand. five. We're going to get to the science. Yes. And I think it's that's- forensics. There's yeah. a murder at the center. This is a murder podcast. But it is, yes. Yes, right? 
I would say this is a true crime podcast. Are you asking me a question or are you just... I'm just saying. <laughs> right? Did anyone Kevin, hear a question in that or Rebecca Kevin, just talking? Kevin. Yeah. Isn't there a difference uh-huh. between... So a lot of people use the true crime podcast format to tell other kinds of stories. And there's nothing fucking wrong with that. I am yes. not complaining. Yeah. Connie Walker, for instance, uses the true crime podcast format to tell socially important stories about a missing indigenous people through the true crime podcast format. John Quillen Hill used the true crime podcast format to tell stories about uh, social issues in, in, in urban D.C. This is a murder story, right? When is the last time we heard a great story told this well? That is a murder story in a pure true crime podcast format. Can you remember? It's not coming to me right now. But, you know, that's what makes or breaks any true crime podcast is the source material. Yeah. Right? Is this an interesting enough event, an interesting enough crime? Is it it compelling enough that it can hold up, you know, the weight of two or four or ten episodes, right? And this is because it is the most whodunit-ish who done it that we have had in, in a in a really long time? You have a room full of suspects. Yeah, you quite literally have a room full of suspects, and uh, and then how it's told beyond that, it just like you said, it gets revealed bit by bit it's in like a an very onion. well told way, <laughs> like an onion, just yes. like an onion. So the answer to your question is yes, Rebecca. It's a great true crime podcast. Well, I would say to- this is the thing, Toby. Though, and this is the thing I've been thinking about you a lot about listening to this is that the thing we think about a lot on this show is. A lot of podcasts, like one of the bars to us liking them is they need to shine a light on something, right? And I know there is an evidentiary thing, a science thing here, like a, a, you know, like a jurisprudence thing here that this will shine a light on, right? We know that because this guy wrote this great article about touch DNA. So we know that this is coming. That being said, the narrative structure of this for me is enough for it to be very, very, very good. And that is, to me, rare. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's how I am feeling at this point, even through episode five. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's not an exact comparison, but it's sort of like sort of a podcast equivalent of In Cold Blood in that I think it just works so well as what it is, you know, in a way that others have tried and not quite succeeded at that level. But I, I, you know... I think I wrote in a note to you that if I was going to be teaching like a class and like how to put together a really good podcast, like right now, I think I would use this. I mean, partly because, I mean, the crime is interesting and there's a whole lot of interesting things about it or whatever. And they've got great tape or whatever, but you could still make a crappy podcast about this oh, case, yeah. right? So easily. Mm-hmm. And I think, <laughs> and I, and I think we've certainly listened to podcasts that had more interesting cases that haven't been nearly as good as this. And I think it's just, yeah, I mean, it's it's craft, you know? I mean, I think they figured out the best way to tell it. And that, to me, would make it stand out. And I, you know, it, like you said, I'm sure there's, there's going to be some stuff about the technology and things like that. But, you know, I think the recommendation for this is this is just a really well-made, well-told story that, you know, it's just a top example of the kind of thing that we listen to every week. Laura, do you feel like there's tension between the two suspects that have been laid out for us? We've got Cameron, who is sus in many ways. Uh, Obviously, his DNA showed up on the oil can. He drove to Canada for no fucking reason. He has the phone calls to Arpana at 3 a.m. He doesn't remember. Quote, forgot. Um, And he claims he heard the noises of her having sex slash choking yeah, that slash having sex thing just didn't make sense, whatever anyway. was going on and he had the very very suspect interviews and then we have Emmanuel who forget he also can't remember if he kicked in the door correct couldn't remember and then he has a then we have Emmanuel who by the way his memory is immaculate he's able to look at every photo from the party identify everyone one of the things that really strikes me about him I mean take take the DNA stuff out of it and his, he's so guileless. His memory is so pure. 
He's honest about all the stuff that even makes him look bad. <laughs> and yeah. like, he's like, oh, that's Arpana. That's this. That's this. Oh, yeah, I was there. I was helping her put uh, her, you know, sex worker stuff on Craigslist. Yeah, that's why I was there. That's oh, like that. Yeah. Lady, yeah, that was. Yeah. Bizarro. So. So, like, when you weigh these two, I mean, do you think it's interesting that we have two people who are so clearly in the frame? I mean, it's, it's, it makes it more for, for a compelling story, right? Well, it, it does. And I think, you know, having two people in the frame and then having Emmanuel in the frame and sort of looking at this as perhaps maybe, like, not necessarily, like, I know we were talking about it being a whodunit, but more like a study of a botched investigation and looking at, like, racial and economic factors that might have played a role in how this all played out, especially when this like crapshoot DNA thing comes into the picture. I think it's really kind of a study in how an investigation can just go wrong based on certain stereotypes. And in this case, you know, science that we now know isn't necessarily the big be all that we thought it might be at one point. But I did feel like, I guess for me, I felt the tension because I felt so strongly that Cameron seemed really guilty. I mean, everything he said to me, I'm like, like the whole like, well, why would it sound like she was like choking when she was having sex? Like, really? And and there was just some weird things he said that didn't add up. But then when you hear that jail tape of Emmanuel talking about how he's basically been railroaded and needs an attorney, like the contrast between those two suspects to me was like night and day. You do. You're going to have to, so I don't know. That end of episode five was an extraordinary piece of audio, and I've never heard a podcast use tape from a subject used for the next up on. You know, they they just use Emmanuel's jail phone call and say, next up. You mean natural sound tape? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's just like, I've been railroaded. Next up on Suspect. And I need to get a good one because these motherfuckers are just going to try to railroad a motherfucker, man. That's on the next episode of Suspect. They, they, don't, they don't want you out. Ever. I thought that was just such a beautifully constructed cliffhanger. I've never heard anything like it before. Toby, you sent me a note about that as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a stopper. You know, I was driving and it's just like, oh my God, like you just, you're not expecting it. It packs a punch and then you're like, wait, what, what day does this come out? The next episode? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, I recommended this. Sign me up for Wondery Plus immediately. I recommended this podcast to so many people. I have gotten four people who hate Wondery to sign up for Wondery Plus. I have once again signed up for the free trial of Amazon Music. Oh, it's yeah. been a whole thing. Uh, Kevin, Did what did you think of just the end of episode five? Did you like it as much as I did with the, the jail sound sort of like yeah, cliffhanger situation? No, I hated it because I wanted to listen to episode six. <laughs> I was mad. The actual fuck, Matt. <laughs> Don't do me like that. Where where are you on the Cameron Emanuel thing? I'm curious. Well, I mean, I can't say who I think the killer is. But I would say if I were a cop, I'd keep my eye on Cameron. <laughs> you mean if you were a cop in 2008 or if you were a cop right now? I both. Because you don't, we, we don't, we, have you Googled? Because I haven't. I have, I, have. I had to Google because of spelling and whatnot. So now I know, yeah. I had to Google and, and I was like, okay, my feelings were correct. I have stayed very far away from the Google on this. I cannot. I have been pure. I I cannot. That's something for you. You do not. uh, You will immediately. Very rare for me. Very, very rare. I want to stay pure and I want to stay this, like arm's length. All right. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know if we haven't yet. Should they check out the podcast Suspect? What do you think we're going to say? From Campside Media. I want to say from Wondery, too, but I really think it's from Campside. I think Wondery is a distribution partner. Should they check out the new podcast Suspect? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs up for Suspect? (laughs) I'm going to tell you, it is a huge thumbs up. And unlike you guys, I do have the Amazon music because the teenager in my house signed us up and I just never canceled. So I will say that my normal like two and a half mile walk this week was going to about four miles because I wanted to keep listening, which is a good thing. So thank you, Wondery. This was just a really interesting case. It was told in such a way that details were released at just the right time to keep you listening. 
And it's also a case that I think as we continue listening, we're going to see, you know, has some bigger picture issues with regard to like criminal justice and investigations. But right now it's just a really good story. Toby Ball. Yeah, I, I, so far so great, I think. I mean, it's just really put together well. I, you know, it's hard for me to picture what I would do differently with what they've done so far. You know, you're always a little bit nervous like throwing praise like this and are they going to be able to land the plane? But their decision-making up until this point has been so spot on that I assume that they've got it figured out. So yeah, a big thumbs up. And, you know, hopefully if it continues in this vein, it'll be another one that kind of goes on the short list of, of recommendations for people when they're like, how, what should I listen to if I want to get into true crime podcasts? Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a, a big thumbs up. By the way, if you have prime you may already have one of the levels of Amazon Music. There's some higher levels where you get more songs and whatnot. But if you have Prime, check. You might have it already. And so what you can uh, get the... You don't you have to... get the free trial for 30 days. Like I keep doing over and over again. Yeah, you keep, yeah, yeah. Eventually, you'll, <laughs> you want to double pay for it. And look, in any event, look, thumbs up. I just thought that this was put together extremely well. I did not want these episodes to, to end it's a really interesting crime. It couldn't have been told any better with the raw material it was given. And I do know the direction the case goes in from here. And I'm excited to listen to how they wrap it all up. All right. So I'm going to like do an unprecedented thing I've never done on the podcast before. Thumb sideways? I'm going to give it two thumbs up. Okay. Only because I am looking at our past reviews from... I'm scrolling through the Crime Writers on Back catalog right now on my podcast app. I cannot find even like the last podcast that we did that was a pure true crime straight up murder podcast that didn't have like another like agenda that it was also trying to do. Right. And it really, at least in the last like year or two, that was great. Like we've done other murder podcasts, but not one that was great. This podcast is great. This podcast is like, in terms of narrative storytelling, it's like serial great. It is great. It is structurally great. It is narrative great. It is production great. It is so freaking good. It is addictive. It is giving you all of the case information. It is giving you just enough of the contextual information. Like it's it's doing all of the right things in terms of giving you the background about how a person of color is different than a white suspect in an efficient way without like making a left turn and making the podcast about something that it isn't about. Like it's doing everything exactly right. The music is used right. The, the, the sources are used right is just freaking impeccable and addictive and i love it two huge thumbs up for suspect for me i can't say enough good things about this podcast i recommend it to about 150 people in the last few days granted i listened to episode five i have a few more episodes to go if I am disappointed in the next few, I will say it on next week's podcast. I seriously doubt that's going to happen based on what I've heard so far. I love everything about this podcast so far. Two huge thumbs up for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. One vineyard in Portugal has found a way to promote nature while picking grapes. When the summer temperatures get hot, they allow nudists to come and harvest the crop. Members of the Portuguese Federation of Naturism descended on Grandola to get some sun while participating in a fun group activity that for once wasn't volleyball. The members spread out among the Ew. vines in only shoes and sun caps to cull the ripest fruit fit for bottles of vino. It was the first such nude harvest. And Why do you say nude? It's funny. And the participants <laughs> say they'll do it again. They just have to be very careful what they do with the pruning shears. Panel, what is the name of the wine this vineyard will be releasing? Lara Bricker, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm in a wine club now. So I actually you are? have an idea. Yeah, I joined this like wine club in town once a month. So I'm going to say that this would be called the Birthday Suit Bordeaux. Not mm. bad. Not bad. Toby Ball, what do you think? Uh, I was like the short and curly Shiraz. No. Not bad. Ew, Not bad. Ew, ew. Kevin <laughs> Flynn, what do you think? 
uh, Penis Noir. Not oh, bad at all. Ew. Can't top that. Uh, we should probably end it on that, though. Before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, we have a dog this week. Hold on. I got to pull it up again. And this comes from our longtime listener, Connie Molinaro. Hey, Connie. Hi, Connie. Connie. Um, Connie's 19-year-old son, Colby, was helping out an amputee horsewoman drive to Tennessee to deliver some goats and chickens. He helps on her farm. On the way back at a truck stop, a guy was sitting on his tailgate and had a little dog with him, and he was looking for a home for her. Well, Colby loves dogs. They already have two. He went up, and she leapt into his arms, and that sealed the deal. The mo- man told him he was out of work, hungry, and couldn't keep the dog and needed to find it a good home. All he wanted was money for the crate. So Colby went in to the truck stop, got the 20 bucks, and took home the dog, who is now named Sweet Annie after a Zach Brown band song. And she's very cute. And I just thought that was so nice. It is nice. Anytime yeah. a dog gets moved from one circumstance to a better circumstance, it's always nice. Mm-hmm. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to send their animals to you to be cat, dog, emu, llama, or otherwise a pet of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And of course, you can always email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or send us a note at our Facebook group. That's how we get most of our pets of the week. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. How can they find you? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin P. Flynn? How can folks reach out to you? At Kevin P. Flynn. That's right. And if you want to follow the me... The P on- is for Pinot Noir. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing and inclusive community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find it at Crime Writers On on Facebook and then just hit join the group. We'll let you in if you're nice. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. By the way, you should also sign up for our free newsletter, right? How do you do that, Kevin? Go to crimewriterson.com. It's, it's right at the top of the page. It's free and it's awesome. Yep. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the handsome and astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we go every time we're turned away at the Canadian border. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I have pork smelly burps. It's so bad. That's awesome. (laughs) What'd you have for dinner? Pork. He made some pork on the grill. It's so bad. It literally smells like dog food every time he burps. Oh, gross. I had pulled pork. Oh. A lot of... So did John of God.